you will you'll grab your Bibles. We are going to be in Galatians. As we entered the book of Galatians, last week we kind of covered a, a little bit of what Paul was saying, but we're entering to a book that's written by the Apostle Paul. You know, we get so casual and stuff, but this is very important. He's an apostle. And he writes about the grace and peace. And it's an amazing thing. Because if you allow yourself to be filled with the grace and peace of God, then you're, you're able to freely give it to other people because you have so much of it in your own personal life. Think of this letter as a kind of a shortened version of, of the book of Romans. And it's amazing how much God reveals uh, himself in the word. And oftentimes it's like we need to hear it over and over and over again. Have you ever gone through that where you have to hear something over and over? You know, I think I, I'm kind of going through this with my four and a half year old. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, you know, where I have to go, hey, hey, Grayson, come here, come here. Okay, now, da-da-da-da. And he's like, you know, just looking around. I'm like, no, 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 no. Look right here. Look at me. Right. I'm right here. And then I have to tell him and then I have to eventually go now repeat it back to me. I want you to understand that you've heard it. And God's like that with that. Hey, Alan, 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 come here, come here. No, no, no. Here. Now, let me tell you something. Now repeat it back to me. And that's how God has to treat us sometimes because we do act like children every now and then. But, but because God, you know, God wants to get our attention when we start to look away. So let's get into the word this morning. And the first slide, it says, Paul, um, an apostle, sent not from man, but from God, but by Jesus Christ, or, or not from man, nor by, sorry, not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, if Christ had lived longer on this planet, he would have crossed paths with Paul over time. Uh, he did a lot of stuff in Jerusalem. They were close to the same age. And Paul would have been there in Jerusalem. And they would have clashed a lot. In fact, a few years after Christ had physically left this earth, the apostles were continuing their message. And Paul was their number one uh, most violent enemy of the early church. He's the one that was after him. He's the one that was just so zealous. In fact, look at what he says down in verse 13. He says, For you have heard on my previous you have heard of my previous way of life in, in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I mean, he was after him. In fact, he kind of tells a story in Acts 22, 3. Uh, that I want to read to you several, uh, it's kind of the, almost the whole chapter, but, but uh, I want to read it because he's talking to an, an angry mob and he's finally got them quieted down and they're angry with him. And this is after he's been converted over to Christ and he begins to tell the story of what happened and he begins to speak to them in Aramaic. It's, it's a language that they understood. In verse 3 in Acts 22 it says, I'm a Jew born in Tarshish of Cilicia. But brought up to the city, I studied under Gamaliel and, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was, just, uh, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I prosecuted the followers of, the way, of this way to their death. And that's what they called early Christianity, the followers of the way. Uh, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As a high priest and associates in Damascus... Oh, I'm sorry. As a high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I have attained a letter 
from them and their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, I came near to Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told uh, all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me, to the, uh, led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his, from his mouth. You will be a witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem... And was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately. Because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, I know it was a long passage, but I think you need to get the background, get the understanding, get it back in your head. Many of you know that story. Many of you have heard that story and so forth. But, but to really get it into our heads, because the Lord sent Paul to the Gentiles, not his own people, for the rest of his life. Hanging on to the whole time, the experience that he had in Damascus. Growing in faith the whole time. And 15 years later, he writes the first book to the Galatians. Now, we think of Romans being the first book because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, right? No, that was just put in. That's the way they, they presented it to the people. But Galatians was actually the first book that he wrote. The letter to the region known as Galatia. And we talked about that last week, that area. It's that kind of southern Turkey area. And, uh, and, and the letter opens there, and he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man. In other words, I was not appointed as an apostle in a meeting, in a ceremony. I didn't sign some book. I was appointed as an apostle by God himself. And he goes on, he says, but by Jesus Christ, the God, the, uh, God, the father who raised him from the dead. Now, this is fascinating that he takes the title apostle here of the tens of thousands of Christians in this world and hundreds of, of amazing Christian leaders that, that have been through the time. Only a handful have ever taken that title apostles. In fact, I've seen different churches as of late that, you know, the modern day leaders try to take that title and put that out there. And I think they're kind of doing a disservice 
uh, by saying this because this is a huge deal to be called an apostle. The apostles talk to all churches, not just their own church, okay? The title implies being personally called and personally commissioned by Jesus, personally sent with an assignment by Jesus. Sometime after the, uh, Damascus, Paul realized that even though he had walked with, with, John, uh, with Jesus like Peter had and like John had, he had seen Jesus on the Damascus road. He'd seen Jesus in the trance in the temple in Jerusalem, making him just as much as an apostle as Peter and John. He personally had sought out, or he was personally sought out by the Lord, his master, for this assignment. And the God of St. Peter, I mean, I'm sorry, the God of St. Stephen, you know, Stephen's the one that was stoned to death. And we're all called saints. We see that in Philippians. But here this, this, this man, he was standing there. He was involved in his murder. And Jesus had come after Paul with grace and mercy and truth. That's powerful. Paul now was living a very different life than his parents have envisioned for him. And as he speaks and as he writes, he's not just writing letters to friends like, oh, well, I really like this guy. Let me write a letter to him. No, he writes with the authority of the apostle words that are to be read, words that are to be studied, the very words of God. Look at what he says down in verse 10. And now I'm trying to win. the. Uh, and now uh, uh, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The gospel that he's preaching, the gospel he says that I'm preaching now to you is not man's gospel. He's had enough of man's gospel. He grew up in the man's gospel. He grew up with the, the these and the thous in a sense. Not really that, but I'm talking about the rules is what I'm talking about. In fact, I was, uh, you know, Lent comes around. I guess Lent starts this, this Wednesday. And, and I don't want to throw out, I'm not anti-Catholic. I don't want to throw out all the stuff that Catholics have ever done. I mean, originally they were, they were worshiping the Lord, you know. But then you ought to see the rules that come about for Lent within the Catholic Church. It's just amazing to me. And it just, it saddens me. Because literally, it is, I forgot what it's called, but one of the things that they call, I mean, it was like the, the worst sin of worst sin of worst sin was to be able to eat meat during Lent. But that's okay, you get Sundays off because Sundays don't count for Lent. There's actually 46 days because you add in Sundays when really it's 40 days of Lent, but the six days you can do whatever you want. I mean, who made up these rules? I'll tell you who made up these rules. Man did. Man made up the rules. Not Paul. Not the, the Bible. Not the Word of God. Man made up those rules. So we have to be careful with that. He goes on. He says, you know, he, he basically says, I've had enough of man's gospel. And then he says in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The first revelation came on the Damascus Road when Paul was about 35 years of age. 
He is now about 50 years old, and he is one of the best-known preachers in the entire world at that point. He is known better than, than Peter and John and James. There are more Christians in the world this time who have hung out and spent time with Paul than any other Christian leader. And this is a guy who truly experienced God's grace. Now let me tell you something. That's who you want teaching you. As somebody who's experienced that grace. That's whose books you want to read. You want to read books like, you know, that are written by Paul. That's who you want to spend time with in a sense. If, if you were living at that time, somebody who's experienced that grace. That's the ministry you want to be a part of. Uh, leaders who humbly tell you that they've experienced God's grace personally in their life. See, the Apostle Paul experienced all of this. And it expressed his extreme puzzlement that God would call him and use him in the way he did. So you bet his first letter was going to be about grace and peace. Because that's what God offered to him. It says Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and the God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Later on, his other letters will be written to a lot of individuals like Timothy and Titus. Or they'll go to, to cities like Thessalonica or Rome or, or Ephesus or Corinth. But Galatia is the only, only letter that was originally written to an entire region. It was a district within the Roman Empire. He had been there a few years back. We talked about that last week, uh, you know, on his first missionary journey, about three years. Uh, and then he sat down, he wrote this letter, and he had time to, uh, you know, time to spend with the, with the believers in Antioch and Lystra and Derby and other places that are listed in Acts 13 and 14. And now Paul writes to them a letter to be circulated in all the churches throughout that region. To the churches of Galatia, he says in verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Two of the most amazing words in Christianity. This is how Paul wants to greet you. This is how he wanted to be greeted. This reflected to what, you know, what happened in his own life. In the early days before Christian, he had no peace. In the early days before Christ, he had no peace, whatever. He had religion. He had rules. And it was full of hostility and full of anger. After meeting Jesus, the grace of God began to cover him and the peace of God began to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to wa wash over him. And he would later write to the Philippians uh, to tell them to guard their mind and, and to guard his heart in Christ Jesus. And these are the phrases that Paul would write. You need to guard this stuff. We know them as we study them and we learn them, but Paul lived them. He went through life and, and the Lord taught him these wonderful things. 
that he continues to teach us through the Lord's Word. Paul was having an impact on multiple cultures at the time. And even the way he greeted you was multicultural, okay? We think that's a new modern word and everything. It's really not. You know, grace was, was how a, Greek's, a Greek person would greet you. It was charis. It was grace. Peace was how Jews would greet one another. Shalom. You've all heard that word here and there, right? You would know a person, you would know somebody's, you know, nationality by the way they greeted you. Even today, it's kind of like this. An Arab will treat, will greet you differently than a Jew will greet you. A Latin American person will, will you know, from Latin America will, will greet you differently than a Japanese person. See, the Apostle Paul was multicultural. Even his greetings, you know, were, were narrowed down. Think about his name. His name was Saul. It was Jewish. But now what is it? Paul, a Roman name meaning little one, which is kind of ironic, right? Here he's so, so huge in the faith, yet his name means little one. Now, do you remember Peter? His name was Simon and got it changed to Peter. And we all think, on this rock? You know what Peter's name meant? Little pebble. Okay, you go back and look at the nuances. His name was pebble, not rock. I think God was trying to say something to both leaders of the church, right? You need to be little so God can be huge. The impact he had was, was full of grace and full of peace. He was pulling everybody together. He always says grace first and then peace. Might have been a coincidence, but I don't really believe uh, in coincidences when it came to Paul. Paul was very particular in the way he did stuff. He was always teaching. I mean, how many of you know a teacher by nature, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Somebody who's always teaching. I mean, uh, you know, older teachers like, you know, uh, Sharon is probably like this and, and uh, you know, Gary and other people. And, you know, sometimes, now I, I could be like this too, so I'm putting my not as, you know, but, uh, well, I'll just talk about myself. Sometimes people look at you as a teacher and they think you're just obnoxious. You know what I'm saying? You don't always have to be teaching, Alan. You don't always, always have to take that moment and make it a teaching moment. I can already tell you my nine-year-old's going to be like this. Why? Because he's already like this. I mean, the kids are running around at school. One kid throws another kid in a bush, and Brianna goes, Hey, guys, no, 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 get off the bushes. You're not supposed to be in the bushes. You're like, Brandon, you're going to get beat up. You know, whose kid is that? You know. Man, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine, another dad, and he looked at Brandon and he goes, how was your day? And I just went, oh, I kind of laughed internally. And then I saw Brandon just go, and inside Brandon's head, you can see it twirling. Okay, do I start off when I got up or when I got to school or do, do I start when I got to lunch? Well, you know, which part of the day you want to know about, you know? And I just looked at, I looked at my friend uh, Bob and I just said, don't ask open-ended questions. You'll be here all day, you know? This is how Paul is. I mean, if you want to learn something, talk to Brandon about something he's interested in. He will teach you about NASA, paper airplanes, being a ninja, Taekwondo, 
the iPhone or iPad, he can tell you which generation and what the iPad does at different generations and all this kind of, kind of stuff. Did you know that the, the, the English alphabet used to have 27 letters in it at the very beginning and they took one out? Ask him. He'll tell you all about it. You know? He can be a little obnoxious if he's not careful. This is the same as the Apostle Paul. He is always teaching, always, every stroke of the pen. Here, here he reminds me that God's grace comes first before God's peace. Hmm. What, be- what is beautiful about that is that sometimes peace instantly follows the giving or receiving of grace. A person who has lost their peace can often trace the loss uh, to a moment when they stopped receiving or stopped giving grace, whether that was a conscious decision or not. Because peace is often blocked by not giving grace or receiving it. This happens to us all the time. You know, that old shame, the old guilt, that kind of rears an ugly head as we're sitting there and, and we haven't thought about something in a long time, something you've given over to the Lord, but you, you kind of held on to it as you gave it over to the Lord. And it, you know, it comes right back at you and, and you start to feel all that, you know, all that, that guilt and it washes over you. And grace is available, but we feel like today is the day that we should pay for the stuff that we did in the past. And there goes our peace. We've done this to ourselves. We've done this to others. Where we feel like, man, they just really need to pay for this. I mean, I'm going to offer them grace, but not quite yet. Someday I will. Or maybe not. Or maybe I'll give a little bit of grace here, a little bit of grace there. But I'm not going to give it to them all at once. No, 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 no. I mean... They won't really appreciate the, that I've forgiven them outright. You know, if I just forgive them outright, of course, the most ridiculous part of that is who's hurt the most? Usually yourself. Whose peace have I blocked by doing that? See, by, by blocking God's grace flowing through me to someone who just does not deserve it, Friends, that's why it's called grace. Grace is when you, when you get what you don't deserve. You don't deserve it at all. And it's given to you. Mercy is, is when you don't get what you deserve. Ever so often, I'll remind my child. And, and the, old, the youngest one's not quite there yet, so I can't remind him of this yet. But I'll remind him. Okay, I'm giving you mercy here. You really deserve this, and I'm not going to give it to you. As in punishment. Every so often, I'll do that. I mean, now again, I, I punish when I need to. But every so often, I'll say, you know what? You deserve this punishment, but I'm not going to give it to you. And it's called mercy. See, the problem is we often try to have peace without offering or receiving the grace. What did Christ say about forgiveness? Oh, I hate this. 
70 times 7. Now, that's 490 times. So let me keep track of that on my phone. Where's my phone? Okay, let me. Okay, Joyce, I, you know, once. Okay. Oh, she did it again, twice. I mean, how ridiculous would that be to, to keep track of all that stuff on your phone? Yet that's what we mentally do. We don't truly forgive. So say this with me. I'm going to have to forgive them soon. I'm going to have to forgive them soon. So our problem is we're not ready to forgive. I understand that. I mean, that person is probably a total buckethead. We could probably come up with several other you know, terms there. You didn't do anything wrong. It's all them. They're bad and you are good. They're guilty and you are innocent. Now, that kind of thought pattern, what does that really make you? Hypocrite. Makes me a hypocrite when, we, when I act like that. We become hypocrites. So we have to forgive. We have to plan to forgive sometimes. Now, how will you know when you truly, truly forgive someone? Well, one indication is your peace starts to return. You don't automatically flinch when their name is mentioned. Or you turn down the aisle and target, and there they are. Whoop, let me turn. Let me see me do You know? Paul uses the word grace over a hundred times in his letters. And the other New Testament writers use the same word, put, you know, all the other writers put together, only 55 times. Paul was the grace guy. Grace followed by peace is the foundation of everything that Paul teaches. He had experienced grace's religion firsthand. He had experienced all the rules. He had propagated graceless religion himself. I bet most of you here have experienced graceless religion at one point or another. It's ugly, it's dry, it's barren, it's not peaceful at all to ourselves and, and, and to each other and, and, and to our family and friends. It's the opposite of peaceful. It is not the good news. Verse 3, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of God the Father, God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is so easy to kind of just gloss over. You know, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Ten seconds right there to give the entire gospel to someone. He gave us himself. Because of all our religious behavior, although it was well-intentioned, we're not enough. The present evil age has gotten into the church, and some of us have to be delivered from the church's sinful behavior. And some of us have been delivered from that, you know, from that, and, and some of us have to be delivered from our own sinful behavior. I mean... This planet is so complicated that we live on sometimes, isn't it? 
Religion doesn't bring us peace. Jesus brought us peace by making peace between us and God the Father. And he wants us to bring the same peace to each other through what? Grace. God says, you are forgiven of your sins. You were wrong. But I have forgiven you and you have, you have nothing to worry about. Receiving grace has brought us the peace that we desire. We need to never lose touch with the grace that, was, that God has granted us. We get bored with grace sometimes. Are you at peace right now? Is it a peaceful day for you? And we're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you about my terrible, no good day. See, now we're at the crux of the issue. Because this is where peace doesn't come from. Peace does not come from the circumstances that we live in. We often forget that. How many of you would say 50% of things in your life will bring you peace? Okay, you don't really have to raise your hands, but just think about it. Are 40% of things in your life will bring you peace? 30%? Can I have 20? Can I have, okay, anyway, you know. No one would say 51% of, of life is awesome and will bring you peace. So why would, as a believer, why would we decide at the end of our day whether it's been a good day or not based on our circumstances? See, right now I'm trying to teach a little Grayson that he decides his attitude for the day. That can be hard to teach a four-and-a-half-year-old, but we're working on it. He can be one of the sweetest kids. But if one thing happens that he doesn't want to happen in the morning, that he has decided, no, this is out of order. This is not how it should go. If one thing happens, he decides, that is it for me. And he will just go. And he will go over to the corner and he will just sit down. I don't even have to give him time out. He just does it to himself. But the problem is that attitude will go all the way to daycare. He'll walk into to, uh, Sundell Daycare and he'll go, they started the song before I got here. And you're just like, well, they start the song every morning no matter, you know. You're like, come on. But he'll be mad about that. And then at the end of the day, he'll be mad. He, he makes that decision that I'm going to be mad and I have to teach him. You decide whether you're happy or sad on that end. But this is exactly what God is trying to do with us. Here is your grace, Alan. Therefore, you can decide whether you're going to have peace or not. And he goes, what? You don't want your grace, Alan? But don't throw that out. Because when you throw that out, there goes your peace. If the devil figures out that you decide whether your day is good or not, by the circumstances of your day, then you're already sunk. You're already sunk. And it's your fault. Don't you love it when the pastor tells you it's your fault? I mean, this is going to be a fun book. I've only done three verses. God's grace is the source 
It's like a wellspring bubbling up. The fresh water of grace that, you know, God is just coming from, from down deep. And it's very different from the hot lava the devil wants to bring up from down below, isn't it? Grace is like a salvation for our souls. The peace comes from how much we soak ourselves in the spring of God's grace. Verse 4, Paul says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. I love that phrase, the present evil age. And we need to be, we need to be thinking about this because, you know, when I hear the present evil age, what do, what do I think of? I mean, what do you think of? Drunkenness, idolatry, um, you know, all those sins involving all that kind of stuff. Uh, sinful, shame, shameful behavior, murderous behavior. That's what we think of, right? Paul doesn't talk about that stuff until we get to the middle of chapter 5. But before that... You have the first 75% of the book. He's not bringing up any of those sins. So for four and a half chapters, the church person in me goes, well, when's he going to be talking about the present evil age? Because there's some sin out there. We live it. We see it. But as Paul's letter unfolds, we see that Paul is talking to the religious people about religious things of how we are robbed as believers. Of the grace of God. And our peace goes right out the door with it. It is why so many religious people are so screwed up. The devil got in there. And people started fully cooperating with him. 75% of the book of Galatians has nothing to do with what I would call evil. And yet that's exactly what it is. Uh, look at what it says in verse 6. And I think you'll start to understand what I'm trying to say. He says in verse 6, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And I love the word pervert there. It's distort, trying to just distort it every little bit. Verse 8, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And then he repeats himself. He says, uh, verse 9, we have, as we have already said, now listen, I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than you, that what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now forgive me for saying this, but he's basically saying, damn them to hell. And there's several other versions that I don't need to go into that, you know. But he basically says, that, I mean, that's what under God's curse means. But the difference is how he's using it. You know what I mean? He's not using it out of anger in their face and so forth. To, you know, I mean, a fight with one person. He's saying, look, they're going to be under God's curse and God is going to have to deal with that. If they're bringing something other than what's true and right in the scriptures of God. I mean, his language and tone are completely different than the civil pleasantries that are exchanged in church lobbies 
and the civil pleasantry that he gave at the beginning of his letter. In fact, you go look at all his other letters. He just goes on and on and on at the very beginning with all the sentimental, gushy stuff. Just read the beginning of Philippians and you'll understand. But not this letter. I mean, by verse 8, it's like it is so important. He doesn't have time for pleasantries here. It is so important. It's like the person that comes and finds you and, you know, sometimes says, hey, we need to talk. And you're like, oh. That's what he's doing in this letter. We need to talk. He's like, I'm I'm shocked. I'm amazed. I'm appalled. I'm astonished at what you have done. How could you turn away from what we had? And the ones that are sitting there reading this are thinking, well, we're not the Corinthians. I mean, have you been to Corinth? And Paul's like, yes, I have. I understand. Ironically, Paul, you know, actually preferred the Corinthians to this religious behavior. This reminded him of, of, uh, of his days before Christ. I was just there with you. We had so much joy. Where is your joy? Where, you know, where did your peace go with such peace among us? When we were all there, it didn't matter where you were from. We were all together. The food was amazing. I mean, the potlucks were awesome. What happened? What do you have now? And they're like, well, we're getting together and and going over the rules again. And Paul's just like, what? I mean, so-and-so's not obeying the rules, so we kicked her out or him out. And Paul says, man, you've turned into a dead gospel. See, Paul was an expert on the dead gospel. Paul was saying, I was saved from that gospel. Jesus had to knock me flat on my back. I had to pick the gravel out of my back for days on end. And Jesus graciously saved me from a religion. Now you Galatians seem to be very attractive to these folks who have come up from Jerusalem and later we'll find out supposedly, supposedly representing the apostles to contradict the so-called Apostle Paul's teaching. Verse 6, it says, I'm astonished at you so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He basically says, if we wrap, as we wrap up here, you're being fooled by those twisting the truth concerning Christ. You see, the, the truth of Christ is that he gave himself for us so that we could receive grace. He paid it in full. So the church could be filled with grace and we could give that grace to each other. We could give that grace to our church family. We could give that grace to our real family. We could give that grace at at school or at work or when we're out in society. The same grace that we received. He said, I offer that grace to whoever shall come no matter what they've done. No matter what they've done, we'll be completely forgotten. And they'll be allowed to be a part of the family of God. You see, this is what makes people very uncomfortable. Doesn't it? 
Well, did you hear what so-and-so actually did? And God's going, yeah, they've repented. They've come back into the fold, so you need to give them grace. And we're like, whoa, whoa, I mean, whoa, what do you mean? Paul's like, grace, let me tell you my story. I mean, Paul sat there while they killed people. See, this is the evil of religion that Paul's going to hit for four and a half chapters, one verse at a time. By the end of this book, we should have our peace back because of the grace that's shown to us. We're going to show that grace to everyone, especially those who need it as much as we needed it. I hope you don't miss a, a week of this series. We'll put them online. Keep up with it. But we need to soak in God's word throughout this series because this will be real for some of us. And it needs to be real. Because God's grace is real. And it brings you peace. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we pray as a worship team leads one last song for us. Lord, we're so thankful for that grace. That grace that covers every inch of our lives. When we come back to you and, and say, man, Lord, I, I really messed up. I blew it this time. I tried. I was trying to go a different direction, but I got pulled back in. Lord, forgive me. And the Lord says, you were forgiven. Now let me teach you how to stay out of that. The Lord's grace is, you know, just full. Truckloads full for us. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we receive that grace, that we turn around and give that same grace to others. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.